Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. Uh, we are in chapter 6. I will tidy up some of our discussion that we were having last week and verses 1 to 7. But before I get into that, I just wanted to talk about ever so briefly an an experience I had last week. Uh, I was away uh, for half of the week, and and in saying that, I continue to thank all of you for being so patient with me as I have to re-air some programs. Huh? Um, I was away. I was on vacation in Lake Tahoe, and we were there for three days. I was there with my family and extended family, and we did what people do in Lake Tahoe, right? We hung out on the beach, we went to see the sights, and we went hiking. And it is one particular hike that I want to talk about. We were going up to Eagle Lake, and about halfway up to Eagle Lake, I looked back out over Lake Tahoe, and I was reminded of that word contemplation, that word that has meant so much to us here on Seeds of Truth because it should mean so much to us in our Christian and Catholic walk. That word, that means literally the act of looking at something sacred, right? Contemplatio, the act of looking at, the root there, uh, templum, that which is sacred. So the act of looking at that which is sacred. Now, I was reminded of that word contemplation because as I was looking back out halfway up Eagle Lake, I was made to contemplate the beauty that my eye was beholding. And by that I mean, I was made to enter into God's great gift of creation itself. Huh? We must remember something about creation, my friends. Everything we look upon is somehow a reflection of God's truth goodness, and most especially beauty. So there I was looking back out, (laughs) thinking about that beautiful truth that comes to us from St. Thomas Aquinas, that all wisdom begins with a vision from the hilltop. Now, we weren't quite on the top of that mountain yet, right, or on the top of that hike, but certainly I was being made to see something new. St. Thomas Aquinas says all wisdom begins with a vision from the hilltop because it is there where you see all the interconnectedness, if you will. Not only the mountain beyond the mountain and the river beyond the river, or in the case of Lake Tahoe, the, the blue beyond the blue and the tree beyond the tree, right? But ultimately how everything is interwoven, how everything is interconnected. There are so many things in our life that we just don't understand. It doesn't make sense to us. We ask the questions, Lord, what is the meaning of this? Why did you allow this to happen? What's going on over here? This wasn't part of my plan. God, what are you doing? 
when we ascend the mountain, literally and figuratively, right, we begin to see things as they are. We begin to acquire that great gift and virtue of wisdom, right? Wisdom. And maybe we can best define wisdom as a taste of something that is an anticipation of something so much more. The taste of something that anticipates something so much more. In particular, the very greatness and glory of God. You see, wisdom always takes a step back. Wisdom always draws back. Or maybe we should better say, (laughs) wisdom always ascends, makes the necessary hike to see what we need to see, to behold something that will help us better understand how God works in our life. So there I was looking back out over Lake Tahoe, just deeply moved to praise God to glorify God, and to just appreciate everything that God has done for me. In the light of this experience I had, this encounter with God I had in His natural beauty, I was thinking about St. John Paul II, who loved to ascend the mountain. He was a man who loved to be in God's creation. He was a man who loved to just sit with God at the highest peaks. Why? because he now saw something new. And here's my end reflection to my experience this past week. It is when we encounter something new that by the grace of God, hopefully, we have acquired a new conviction. Conviction to continue to be the person that God has called us to be. So as we reflect here on Seeds of Truth and to the many truths that that St. Paul talks about, let us always take these truths and insert them into our everyday experience. Certainly, God was calling me to do so this past week, most especially as I was hiking up to Eagle Lake, because it is there where I met God in a most powerful way. And amen to that. Okay, now back to some subject matter that we have been talking about here on Seeds of Truth. I have been reflecting into how when we are persecuted by the very person we are trying to help, we have to be mindful of God's own persecution when he was here on earth, right? (laughs) How we have to be mindful of how Jesus was persecuted, and that when we encounter this, actually share in Christ's suffering. Apparently, a great number of you have experienced this. You've pulled me aside. You've called me and you said, Joe... I am reaching out to this person or that person, and I am trying to help them. And they let me into their lives, and then upon doing so, they reject me. They persecute me, and I am angry. What am I to do? Well, we've talked about (laughs) the things we've been talking about here on the radio, the need to sink deeper into the mystery of Christ's own suffering, and understand that our walk here on earth has to be one in faith. Remember that all-important truth as it relates to the spiritual life, that God meets us how he makes us and walks with us as he is. Walk with God in faith. Understand that you are walking intimately with God. You're walking intimately with God because Jesus seeks to be with us. 
give this practice of letting go and allowing God to fill you up momentum. Give it some momentum. Remember that proverb, what you feed grows. What you feed grows. When you encounter that person who you've been trying to help and they reject you, love them all the more. Enter into the mystery of Christ's own suffering. Because what did Jesus do to the very person who rejected him? He loved that person to the end. And that person really is who but all of us. He loves us to the end. He teaches us that enough is never enough until it gives everything. So my dear friends, we love to the end. We give ourselves totally and entirely to the people that God has put before us and to the very specific person that you are being called to love. God is calling you to be present to that person to the end. Enter into the mystery of Christ's own love, right? That should compel us, that should urge us on and do it. You know, it's kind of like riding a bike. We can talk about it all day long. We can read about it all day long, but it won't be until you actually do it that you actually acquire the habit of loving as we ought, right? And this is when it becomes a virtue because virtues in of themselves are simply good habits, right? And the repetition of good habits. So just doing it, just loving them as you are called to love them, which always involves entering into the mystery of Christ, in faith, of course. Now, that being said, let us jump back into these verses themselves. We were reflecting into verses 1 to 7. What I think I'm going to do here is just reread verses 3 to 7. And this is really 7a, because as you go through these verses Verse 7 kind of breaks up in half, if you will. So I'll stop at at, uh, the first half of verse 7. We cause no one to stumble in anything in order that no fault may be found with our ministry. On the contrary, in everything we commend ourselves as ministers of God through much endurance in afflictions, hardships, constraints, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, vigils, fasts, by purity knowledge, patience, kindness, in a Holy Spirit, in unfeigned love, in truthful speech, and the power of God. Now, in a Holy Spirit, this phrase speaks to Paul's very specific holiness, right? Very personal holiness. My dear friends, we have to appreciate something here, that Jesus Christ gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit a Holy Spirit that is personal. He gives this gift to us that we might share on a very personal level with the very life of God. Now, in this case, again, this speaks to Paul's own mission of sanctification, Paul's own mission of holiness. But we should apply this to our own lives. We should take what St. Paul is saying here and apply it to our own lives. We, too, have been given this gift that is very personal, Because it's not something but someone in the very love shared between the Father and the Son. We can become holy because God has given us His very gift of holiness. 
we can love as we ought because God has given us his very gift of love. And now for many of us, duh, right? Joe, say something I don't know. Well, my friends, I think this is a point that has escaped many of us, that God has actually given us his very life in his very love, that God has actually given us in gift form his very essence, his very identity, which is love. God is love, 1 John 4, 16 says. And in this gift, which is the Holy Spirit, we can actually share in God's life here on earth. Powerful, powerful stuff. How do we do that? Well, (laughs) Paul offers a suggestion here in verse 7, one that is very, very important. What does he say here? In the Holy Spirit, in unfeigned love, in truthful speech, in the power of God. Now, the phrase unfeigned love literally means love without hypocrisy, okay? So this is that genuine love. This is the love that alludes to the compelling love of our Lord that we have already talked about in chapter 5, verse 14. That compelling love of Jesus that energizes us and directs all of our activities. And certainly that love that directed Paul's activities, right? What about the phrase, truthful speech? This is a phrase in the Greek that can be better rendered as message of truth. A phrase that is synonymous with the gospel of salvation. If you were to go back into Paul's letters, Colossians chapter 1 verse 5, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, we see how the message of truth is synonymous with the gospel of salvation, which of course is the gospel he has received and now proclaims. This verse, my friends, is so, so important. Why? Because it deals with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. When we hear the word hypocrisy, we generally define it as to say one thing and to do another. And on one level, it is that insofar as you're not being true to yourself. But it is more about the imitation of one's speech and gestures. If you were to actually go into the Latin, that's probably the better, better rendering. So it speaks to what? But, well, what did we just read? Truthful speech, right? Now, what's interesting about this word hypocrisy is it's tied to uh, the Greek culture, in particular, Greek theater. You see, my friends, hypocrisy was tied to how you might act on stage. Hypocrisy was tied to one's performance. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) One's performance. So when you go into the origin of the word, where the word comes from, what you will find is how hypocrisy is really tied to nothing but that which is a performance. The opposite of truthfulness. Brothers and sisters, why is Paul talking about what he is talking about in verses 6 to 7? How can the Holy Spirit abide within us if we are not being true to who we are in both our speech and action? You have heard me quote the great theologian Romano Gardini before, that theologian that has impacted so 
many pontificates, especially St. John Paul II and Benedict XVI. Uh, Benedict XVI once said that my time as Pope has been but an echo chamber of Romano Gardini. If you want to get to know the thought that influenced Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, then get to know one Romano Gardini. He says that the first virtue, that is practical virtue that leads you to God alongside of humility is the virtue of truthfulness. That virtue which identifies a thing for what it is. And right about now, maybe you're asking the question, why is it so important to define the virtue of truthfulness? Well, my friends, because if we are not identifying a thing for what it is, every other thing fails to be what? Truthful, right? If our whole lives have been constructed on a lie, then how can we possibly tell the truth if we haven't gone back to the foundation of the lie itself. This is why St. John Paul II says an excuse is worse than the lie because it's the lie guarded. It's the absence of going to the core of the problem. If we want to rediscover who we are, if we want to rediscover our vocation and holiness, then we must go back to the root of the lie that we live in. Romano Gardini poses a series of, of questions with some reflections, and I absolutely love this. He says, but what if I am not truthful in dealing with myself? What if I deceive myself, pretend? And do we not do this constantly? Is not the man who is always in the right, most perilously in the wrong? Does not the man whose opinion others are always at fault constantly disregard his own fault? is not the one who always gets his way living in a tragic delusion, unaware how foolish, conceited, narrow, and brutal he is, and what harm he is doing? He closes, If I wish to associate properly with myself and so with others, I must not disregard my own reality. I must not deceive myself, but be true in dealing with myself. But how difficult that is, and how deplorable our state if we honestly examine ourselves. Wow. <laughs> what is Romano Gardini saying there? Well, I believe, my friends, he is challenging each and every one of us to look in the mirror and ask ourselves the more overarching question. How have I not been true to myself? What are the lies in my life? You know, the virtue of humility is quintessential to the virtue of truthfulness because the virtue of humility never busies about protecting the false self. He is just true to who he is. True to who he is in the light of who God created him to be. Brothers and sisters, each and every one of us have that singular, particular, very concrete vocation that God has entrusted to us so as to give glory to him. The moment we cease to be true to who we are and how God created us, we fail the great vocation that is before us to give glory to God. Another point we touched upon recently, that this failure is tragic. Why? Because there is something within us that awaits to be disclosed, revealed. And if we're not being true to who we are, 
than something that belongs properly to the mystery of God, who we are, fails to be revealed, fails to be disclosed. Isn't that a great challenge? To become who we are called to be in the light of who created us so as to reveal something that has never been revealed before. And it would be a tragedy for that not to be revealed. Don't we all await something beautiful? Don't we all long to behold something beautiful? You know, I was talking about Lake Tahoe earlier and how beautiful Lake Tahoe is and how it leads to this kind of aesthetic arrest. Why do people travel thousands of miles to go to Lake Tahoe to behold that which is what? Beautiful. Brothers and sisters, there is a, pardon my analogy here, but Lake Tahoe within all of us. And by that I mean something beautiful to behold within all of us. Something that would captivate the imagination of so many people. Something that so many other people long to behold and they don't even realize it. We should be in awe-like reverence of one another because we were created in the image and likeness of God. I know I use that phrase a lot, but I just don't think we think about it enough. That if we are created in the image and likeness of God, then there is something to behold within each and every one of us. But you see, my friends, sin gets in the way. We have to enter into Christ and allow Christ living within us to sanctify us, to make us more holy like him, that suddenly when someone sees us, they are beholding something beautiful. Each and every one of us have a very particular pronouncement to the beauty of God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? Now, we're just talking about sin and, and entering into Christ. Father Stegman, the Jesuit we've been pulling from in his uh, commentary on 2 Corinthians, goes to St. Ignatius of Loyola, who, of course, is the founder of the Society of Jesus who we know as the Jesuits. And he says this, and here he gets into the camp of Satan and the camp of Christ. He says, At the heart of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola is the meditation on the two standards. Here, the two standards refer to the military banners of Lucifer, Satan, and Christ. St. Ignatius, like Paul, viewed the spiritual life in military terms. So here we begin to get into the second half of verse 7. Lucifer's strategy is to lure people under his, standard, under his standard by inducing them to seek wealth and worldly renown, both of which lead to pride. His goal is to enslave people to sin. On the contrary, Jesus invites his followers to embrace spiritual poverty, and in the case for some, actual poverty. Moreover, Jesus cautions them that they must be willing to be held in low esteem and even contempt by the world. Jesus' purpose is to ultimately, listen to Father Stegman here, inculcate humility, the virtue from which arises all other virtues such as purity, patience, and kindness. And certainly we can include in that what? Truthfulness. The person engaged in the spiritual exercises is called to 
prayerfully consider the way of Christ, the supreme commander-in-chief, whose standard is what but the standard of the cross. So here we have come full circle, my friends, because in the opening I was talking about, after our reflection on Lake Tahoe, right, the call we have to enter into the mystery of Christ's own suffering. Why? Because the cross is the standard. What did St. Paul say? I just don't preach Christ, but Christ crucified. That's the stumbling block. It's a stumbling block for all of us, my friends. Why? Because all of us, when we love like Christ loves, risks being persecuted. But the love of Christ urges us on. Urges us on. And so this evening, we were also made to reflect into what that love of Christ means for us, reflecting on how we are called to become the best versions of who God desires us to be as we seek to live in Him and exist for other. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen? And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.